Colossians 1, uh, starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This little book of Colossians is absolutely filled with thankfulness. You see just there, we're going to look at verses 1 to 8 in particular. They are verses in which Paul and Timothy talk about their thankfulness for what God is doing at the, to the, in, in the lives of the people of the little church of Colossae. That thankfulness is driven by an appreciation of the wonder of what Jesus Christ has done for his people. The, the, the latter cha- half of chapter 1 is one of the most glorious pictures of Jesus in the whole New Testament. Just overwhelming uh, poetry almost, talking about who Jesus is as well as what he's done for us. The li- this little letter was written uh, to people who, like all of us, face pressures on the one hand to drop or at least to lower our commitment to Jesus, to step back from it perhaps, not to be too enthusiastic, or on the other hand, face an equal danger, becoming bored, becoming unsatisfied in their Christian life, and so choosing to look elsewhere whether it's new religious experiences or new ways of living, to help them grow and find excitement and satisfaction and joy. And so uh, these verses from two, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, really sum up the heart of Paul's message. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. 
when we recognize everything that Jesus has done and is doing for us, we find ourselves filled with thankfulness. That means we are not tempted to go elsewhere, but instead we, we discover that by going deeper and deeper into our knowledge of him, we not only have the, the energy and the strength to keep going, but to go deeper, to find more satisfaction and to serve him better. So again, the thankfulness is absolutely key to the message of this little book. Now, the town of Colossae, uh, um, the town of Colossae, uh, small one, not very important. Uh, this is a little map of the Roman Empire. Now, if you look, let's see if I can get this red light. Uh, this area, which we would call Turkey, which they called Asia, uh, is where Colossae was. Um, little yellow star in the middle there. Um, it's a reasonable sized little town, nowhere special, nothing important. Um, it's in an area where people had adopted a Greek way of life. You see it's very close to Greece. It was ruled by the Romans. Now Paul and Timothy who wrote this letter had never been there. They'd been to nearby towns, um, but they'd never been there. However, um, one of the people from Colossae, uh, a man called Epaphras, as verse 7 says, had met Paul and Timothy, had heard about Jesus. And he'd been so excited by what he heard that he went back to Colossae and he told people there about Jesus. He told them the, the good news about him and a little group of people believed him and they formed a little church. And after a while, Epaphras came back to Paul and Timothy and told what had happened. Told about those people and the way that they had come to faith in Jesus Christ and they were living that faith out in love. And that's what triggers this letter. You know, verse 7 tells us that it was Epaphras who taught them the gospel and who then came back, verse 8, and told Paul and Timothy about everything that was happening. And Paul and Timothy are so excited. They are so encouraged. They write back to encourage the Colossian church in turn and to strengthen them, to stand firm and to grow in their faith. Um, now these, these verses are, are structured quite simply. There's a greeting in 1 and 2. You know, just like in our letters we write, dear so-and-so at the start. The, the verses 1 and 2 start just in, in the way that ancient letters always did. It says who it's from um, and it says who it's to. Um, this is Paul, an apostle. In other words, one of Jesus Christ's specially chosen messengers from the first generation uh, sent out to tell people about Jesus. And he's writing with Timothy, one of his fellow workers. And he writes to the people he called his holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. This little church, it's a band of brothers. It's a family. It's not just a group of people. In God's sight as well, they're holy and faithful. That word holy, um, you, could, you could also translate it saints. They, I think they've chosen not to use that word in case it confuses us. With Sometimes we think of saints as a few special people, but in the New Testament, saints simply means people chosen, set apart by God for him. So his, all his people. And they're faithful. They're people who have put their trust in Jesus. They were probably trustworthy as well, but I think it, here it has more the sense of people who have put their trust in him. And he's writing, he wants them to have grace and peace from God the Father. But then he's going to go on to give thanks for the way hearing the news of the gospel has transformed their lives. Now what this will teach us is this. 
they have grown in faith and love. Faith in God, love for one another. That faith and that love, it says, both spring from the hope that they have heard. The hope that they have heard about in the Christian message. Through the word of that message, which tells them about the hope, their lives have been transformed. This is a reminder to us that whether at the start of the Christian life or further on in the Christian life, it is by being brought face to face, by seeing clearly the hope set before us, that we grow both in trust in God and in love for one another. Hope fuels our lives. Now, this first section in 3 to 6. As we said, it's a thanksgiving. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. They are full of thankfulness because they can see that God is at work in these people's lives. He's delighted. They're delighted when they think of them. Because um, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Again, people of God. They've changed what they believe and rest their lives on. That's faith. But they've changed the way they live as well. They're filled with love. Love, presumably, if they're living out the Christian life, to everyone. Not just to, to Christians, to the saints, but in the same way that you know, a loving person shows their love at home. If you don't love your family, but you seem to love people outside, there's something deeply wrong, isn't there? It's the same with Christians. If you don't love your Christian family, but you love people outside, there's something a bit wrong. But not with these guys. They have love for the saints. And if their church was anything like our church or most churches down the ages, it was full of people who didn't have anything in common, who were different from each other, who naturally don't get on, who naturally fall out. And yet, something new has happened. They have love for one another. And the surprise, as I've already hinted at, is where this faith and love comes from. He says, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth. It's hope that leads to the faith and love that they have. Well, uh, what is this hope? <laughs> and how does it lead to this faith and love? Paul says, you've already heard about it. So he's not going to spell out for them exactly what the hope they've heard about is. Important to say from the start, it doesn't mean hope in the sense of a feeling or longing, simply. You know, I hope to be an astronaut one day. Rather, it's something solid and certain that they expect, that they look forward to. A little bit more like looking forward to your holidays when you know they're booked, at least before COVID, was the tendency to write them off or airport strikes. That feeling of, I can get through these few weeks because I know I'm away soon. Paul doesn't spell out in detail what the hope is, since they know it already, but he says again and again throughout this first chapter, little touches on it. Um, all Christians have that hope that on the certain day when they, along with all God's people, are released from the curse of death, they'll come face to face with God, receive from him joyful, fulfilling life in love and community with him and all his people forevermore. Also, that hope extends to the world. You know, Roman 8, 8 talks about this world groaning, waiting for the day when it will be put right. That's the Christian hope. 
that hope is stored up in heaven. In other words, it's safe. Not just that it's far away, but it's within the presence of God. No one can get at it. In the same way, if your cash is in a good bank, it's a lot safer than it is under your mattress. This hope is stored up in the one place where moth and rust, as we heard with the kids, can never get. Thieves can't break in and steal. It's safe. The hope that they have is a hope of God's grace as well. A hope of receiving kindness from God that we can't deserve, don't deserve, 1-6. In one verse 12, the hope is an inheritance. An inheritance of all God's people, all the saints in the kingdom of light. Every Christian stands to receive an inheritance with our big brother, Jesus Christ. It's the hope of coming into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're already part of that in a way, but we'll have the full enjoyment of it then. And in 127, he will talk about the glorious riches of the mystery that God has made known to us, which is that we have the hope of glory because Christ is now living in the Christian's heart. So we have the hope of glory with God. Now back to the passage. This hope leads to faith and love. Faith and love spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. How does hope lead to faith? Um, imagine you're sick. Doctors can't make you better. But then you see a specialist. And he's been working on a new treatment. It's really successful. Amazing success rate. And he says it's going to work. And it turns out he's a world expert. And not just that, but he's a really good reputation for success. Now that hope's uncertain. <laughs> but if you're going to go through with that treatment, you put your faith in that doctor. Maybe not quite as certain as the faith in Jesus Christ, but you put your trust in him because of the hope he's holding out to you. That's, that's what's going on here. When people hear about what Jesus offers, the hope that he offers, we put our trust in him. We say, yes, I trust you to deliver on these promises. And in that sense, hope is what moves us to, to trust, to have faith in Christ. To, on the two sides, we, we see more of him, we know more of him, we learn more about him, and we see he is someone who delivers on what he promises. And secondly, we see just how good what he promises is. And so we put our faith in him. Little lesson for us there. Thinking about what God promises us, thinking about heaven, thinking about a life with every tear wiped away, thinking about hope and joy there, thinking about the fellowship we will have with all of God's people from every age, both those close to us and those we've never met. And above all, Knowing God himself face to face in all his love and majesty and glory and living in intimacy with him. Thinking about these things deepens our faith. If we are wavering or if we don't have the confidence we ought to have, perhaps it's because we have lost sight of the hope that he offers. There is that other side of needing to be convinced of the reality of it, needing to be convinced that Jesus is reliable and real. But after that, 
comes the question of knowing the hope that he offers us. And the more we think about it, the deeper our faith will grow. Now love, too, in the same way, springs from hope. These people have love for all the saints. When we know what's waiting for us, we've already heard an example of love when we talk to the kids that springs from hope. They chose, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot, chose to love the Alka because they had a hope that made it worthwhile. If their hope had been in this life, if their hope had been just living comfortably, they'd have stayed in the USA. There's no competition, is there? If that's what they had to look forward to, if that's all they had to look forward to, that's where they'd have stayed. And it works that way in normal life as well. You know, if your hope in life is getting really rich, it shapes the way you live, doesn't it? It means that you will work as hard as you can at a career that will give you lots of money or setting up businesses. And we all know that in many cases that leads people to neglect their families, to neglect those closest to them, because they want to be rich. And maybe they see the way to love their families is by getting money and giving it to them. If, on the other hand, your hope is to have a happy family life, you might be content with a lower wage and more time with your family and spending your weekends with them and always making sure you're there for them when things are tough so that you can support one another, so that as the years go on, the bonds become closer and you, you support each other better and better. So even in just a normal earthly sense, what you hope for shapes the way you live. Now if your hope is for what Jesus promises, if your hope is for that hope that is absolutely safe, that you you can't lose it, you can live in a rather riskier and more dangerous way. You can risk giving up time and money and energy in loving other people. Because you know you're going to be happy and content whatever happens. You know you're going to be with Jesus whatever happens. And in fact, the more you give, the deeper your delight in him is going to be. Jesus wasn't joking when he said it's better to give than to receive. We all know as well, don't we, that it's a lot easier to give when you're on the receiving end of generosity and love and kindness yourself. If you feel like you live in a world where everyone else is out to get what's everything for themselves and not for, you, not for other people, it's very easy to go the same way. When you meet with love and care and kindness from other people, it awakens the desire in you to return it to other people as well. Exactly the same happens here. When we see what God is promising us, when we see what he has ahead of us, and which is absolutely certain in him, we're released to love with fuller, wholer hearts. Now, there's that old saying, isn't there? You know, so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly use. Sometimes we talk, you know, as if being uh, all interested in heaven will keep us from caring for the people around, from being any use. Now, doubtless there are people like that. But possibly that's more a problem of hypocrisy than reality. Because Paul makes it quite clear. If you really know in your heart the hope that Jesus has for you, if you really know what he's promised, and he will give you, because he's utterly reliable, then you will be 
freer and more happy and more able to give from a whole and overflowing heart. A heart that is filled with joy and hope and love. Now, um, as we come to the close, just a quick word about the next few verses. Notice that they say they've heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Then they carry on and talk about how the gospel is working in the world. Hope comes through hearing the news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that word gospel, we only use it in Christian circles nowadays, but as I probably said to some of you before, it was a word that kings and emperors used for the very, very best things that happened. Your nation is under threat from a terrible enemy or invader, and they are defeated. People run back through the towns and villages announcing, we're free, the, the enemy is defeated, we have hope, we have peace again. That's gospel. That's what the word gospel or good news means. It's life-changing news. It's news that shakes the whole community. That is the gospel, what gospel means. And, and the, the early Christians and Jesus himself take this word and they say, that's the kind of news it is that Jesus has come. Because he has defeated death. He has defeated evil. He is bringing freedom and hope to all who will come to him. All who will listen to his message. That word of the gospel is powerful. The reason we focus on it in church is because this is what changes people's lives. When people hear the gospel about Jesus and what he has done for them and what he offers them, they begin to see that hope. They have faith. They grow in love. They become Christians. But then also they carry on growing as Christians. That's what we've just been talking about. You have that hope in front of you. You grow in faith and love. This gospel is what does the work in the church and in the world of bringing people to know Christ and love him and love one another. We are not in the business of teaching people to love church buildings or services. We are in the business of letting people know this gospel. And Paul says all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. It is working just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. Understand this, it changes your life. Now Paul's not naive, he knows the gospel hasn't reached the whole world yet. This is a man who, uh, in the letter to the Romans, talked about how um, he'd spread the gospel in the area he was, and he wanted to go to Spain now, because nobody there had heard about Jesus, and he wanted to go to that far distant wild country and tell them about Jesus. But what he means is, it is spreading over the whole world, and everywhere it goes, it's bearing fruit and growing. You know, we live in a world where we're very conscious. People are different. <laughs> uh, there are different cultures, different ideas of life. It was the same for them. Wildly different languages and peoples and cultures, and yet wherever the gospel came, it bore fruit. You know, the Alka were pretty different to Glaswegians. But when they heard this news, it transformed their lives for good, and they were glad to hear it. There are many things in the Bible that are hard, and so there are matters of interpretation. But this isn't. 
Paul calls it God's grace in all its truth. This is truth. This is reality. Not just people's idea or understanding or interpretation of what Jesus says. And it works for all people everywhere. We're so tempted sometimes to think of Christianity, of the gospel, as a, as a Western thing, as a European thing, perhaps even as a British or a Scottish thing. Reality, of course, is that people in ancient Persia and China knew about the gospel before Glaswegians did. It's had its ups and downs, but there are far more Christians in Africa or in Asia or in South America than in all of Europe. Places like China, Nigeria, India are full of Christians and the gospel is still growing. What he says here is still happening. It is bearing fruit and growing. Not just in that people are coming to believe, but people are having changed lives, learning to love one another, learning to live in little communities of love which hold out another way and a real hope to the world. So that's what happens when churches learn to love one another in the way that's being said here. They hear the gospel, they have faith, they learn to love, and then people say, you guys love each other in a way that's just not normal in the world. What is it that causes that? Why do you love each other in that way? Especially when some, many of you are odd and difficult, speaking of myself. Um, but it's true. All sorts of people learn to love each other. They learned it from Epaphras. We learned it from many different people. But through it, through the gospel, through the power of the Spirit, as verse 8 says, we too have come to hear and to share, to grow in faith, and to begin to love in the way they're talking about. We should give thanks for that. We should give thanks for the fact that there are churches all around us where the same is happening. We should give thanks for the fact that our world is right now going through the biggest growth of the Christian faith that has ever occurred. Sometimes that will change the world in very obvious ways. Stop the alka fighting. Sometimes it works under the surface, like it does in China or in Britain. But lives are changed nonetheless. Remember the hope that you have. If you are a Christian, this is your hope. If you're not, it's being offered to you today. This hope is life-changing. When you read your Bible over the coming week, keep an eye out for those words of hope, words about the future that God holds out to you. And think about them. Not just in a keeping in your head, but look forward to them might be further away than your next holiday, but it is far better. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your gospel, for the good news that you have won, you have defeated evil. You have defeated the darkness. You have defeated sin in our hearts. And your victory will bring freedom and hope. You died for that. Laid down your life for it. And through it you purchased us a wonderful hope. One day we'll see you face to face and be with you face to face. And live with joy with all your people. In a world made new and heavens made new. Help us to feel that. 
Help us to look forward to it, to long for it. And may it increase our faith. And may it fill us with love. Love to one another. And love to the whole world. In Jesus' name. Amen.